Hello and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialist. Once again, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. Hey, thank you for joining me. And um, we're here for another news flash episode. Uh, this news flash is concerning the Building Safety Act 2022, which received royal assent on the 28th of April, which is a couple of weeks ago. One week ago. One week ago, hot off the press. Um, do you want to start by telling us a bit of background about this one, please? Yeah, it's um, it's one of several pieces of legislation that uh, sort of post Grenfell. Um, legislation based on um well, Grenfell was in what, June the 14th 2017 and uh it's uh, based on the Hackett inquiry which has been on the news and television over the you know, over the years Jane D- Judith Dame Judith Hackett uh, produced this um uh, building for a safer future which made various suggestions and it's actually one of several pieces of legislation as I said including the Fire Safety Act of 2021, which is enforced in Wales now, but not in England yet, it must be fairly imminent. And also various changes to building regulations uh, post Grenfell. Um, I'll, I'll tell you when it's sort of introduced into Parliament. There was a draft bill back in July of 2020, and then it was introduced into Parliament to the House of Commons on July the 5th, 2021. It was always going to take a long time to, to get uh, through Parliament because it's about 262 pages. Uh, and if you can't sleep, we're not going to do all of them, Lizzie, now. Um, but uh, if you can't sleep at night, some of it is really for you. Um, it's uh, passed through Parliament uh, on April the 26th. And as you mentioned, we received the Royal Assent a couple of uh, days later. It's uh, changed quite dramatically, some of it, in the last couple of months through Parliament. I think one of the people in the House of Lords, Lord Lancathra, said it had changed beyond recognition. And uh, a lot of the Hackett inquiry uh, suggestions have been uh, put to one side, let's say. And none of it's in force yet. When can we expect the provisions to come into force? Well, various uh, times. A lot of it is uh, going to be down to regulations and, and secondary legislation. Some parts are probably going to come into force, well, the government was saying, two months after the Royal Assent, but so by uh, late June. Others, some of the sort of secondary legislation, they're also changing the, the regulatory reform fire safety order of 2005 to um, define who a responsible person is. Perhaps that's for another, another day. Uh, should come into force within a year of royal assent, but a lot of it is going to be, they say, a year to 18 months after the royal assent, so the actual implementation is some way away. But forewarned is forearmed, that's what I say. What are the first provisions um, that are going to come into force? Well, I say it's probably going to be the amendment, quite dramatic amendment, to section one of the Defective Premises Act, or as I had typed out in notes once, the Defective Promises Act, totally different thing. Um, but uh, it's um, section one um, basically deals with new dwellings, not uh, just high rise buildings and the likes, which much of the legislation deals with, but new dwellings generally. And they've got to be um, you know, sort of built in a work-like manner uh, and be fit for human habitation. If they're not, you've got six years uh, to bring a claim against the people responsible for the defect. And over the years, it's a 1972 piece of legislation, but uh, over the years, various problems have arisen. 
mean, one was a, a court of appeal case in 2011 uh, called Jensen and Foe, F-A-U-X, uh, which said it only applies to new builds and therefore it doesn't apply to, to refurbishment and the likes of new dwellings unless there were major refurbishments. So you could say it was a totally new building. Uh, you wouldn't have a claim. Um, the new version will apply to refurbishments and rectification. But there's also a case, uh, um, Manchester case, Sports City uh, in Countryside from a couple of years ago. Uh, Sports City is a big development near the Etihad Stadium, and which I know. And uh, it was... Uh, all kinds of problems over the years. They found uh, defects within six years. They notified the, the developers countryside. The defects were remedied within that six year period. But after more than six years, the remedial work needed to be remedied. And the court decided you didn't have a cause of action. You'd waited too long. Um, it's a bit convoluted, but the uh, new defective premises act limitation time period will be 30 years uh, if the defects occurred before the implementation of the Act and 15 years if afterwards, subject to being human rights claims, they're going to be retrospective. So if you, you know, if the defect occurred, say, in 2010, you'd have until, until 2040 to bring a claim against the person responsible. It's only dwellings, but not just blocks of flats and the likes. I think the major problem, Lizzie, is that... Uh, in practice, are people going to actually be around 30 years hence? You know, sort of, um, you know, builders don't always, don't last that long. Uh, so we'll have to see what the practical sort of uh, implications of that are. Uh, they're also introducing, finally, something called Section 38 of the Building Act of 1984, which never came into force, but basically says, uh, if somebody breaches building regulations, this is generally not just dwellings, uh, then anybody who suffers as a consequence can bring an action in damages. And that's finally is going to come into force at some stage soon. And they're going to introduce a 15-year limitation period to that. So anything that changes everyday conveyancing and property work, that's probably it. Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of people have drawn attention to the fact that, you know, all this extra potential liability you know, has great implications for people's uh, insurance, you know, public liability insurance and likes, there's going to be all these potential claims. So that's the thing that's likely to come into force first. What are the other major provisions? Well, yeah, there's only a, in, you know, in these news flashes, there's, you know, we obviously can't discuss everything and a lot of it is going to be down to statutory instruments, but the most notable uh, change is they're introducing some, a, an organised body, I should say, called the Building Safety Regulator, who'd be an officer within the um, uh, the health and safety executive and the building safety regulator would be responsible for uh, building standards generally you know but um, they're also introducing the concept of a high risk or high rise uh, residential building what's that uh, it's going to be something it's a residential it's got to have at least two dwellings so we're looking at mixed use as well and it's got to have uh be 18 metres or more of height. It might be different in England and Wales, the actual the heights and things. But it's going to be in England, certainly 18 metres or more in the height, which roughly equates with six storeys. Or if it's um, uh, 
less than 18 meters in height if it's got seven or more stories it'll be a high-risk building residential building as well a little word of warning to people if people are buying into a dwelling you know, where there's seven or more stories but it's less than 18 meters in height i would check people's height as well because if they're more than about six foot three they probably wouldn't get in um so uh that's one thing to look forward to um but in those the building safety regulator will be basically responsible for building control in these high-risk buildings and there's also got to be an accountable person there could be several in which case you need a principal accountable person what's a principal accountable person the accountable person is the person who's basically uh responsible for the common parts and the repairs and the maintenance uh, so usually the owner of the property, but you know, obviously in some of the mixed use developments in particular, you can have uh, several layers of uh, management. Uh, and they will have to sort of deal with health and safety and deal with the building safety regulator and listen to complaints about health and safety from, from occupiers and the likes and keep records and, and um, also notify any structural safety or fire safety issues that have occurred. And keep uh, as a major records and notify the health and safety as well the building safety regulator you mentioned the legislation has changed since the original version can you go into a bit more detail on that yeah, yeah it's sort of back in march uh march the 22nd the government announced that uh they were going to drop something called a, a building safety manager the idea is in these high risk buildings these 18 meters or more in high buildings uh, the accountable person uh, would have to um, uh, appoint a, a building safety manager who would be sort of qualified in building safety and they would act as liaison between the tenants and the health and safety executive building safety regulator. It was dropped because of the cost. It was a fundamental part of the Hackett uh, inquiry and report that this idea that there should be some sort of, you know, sort of third party between the, you know, the, the landlord, if you like, and then the building safety regulator, but it was estimated it would be too costly. Uh, the other thing, which I wasn't surprised because it was very controversial, is that the cost of any works uh, that were required um, would have been added originally to something called a, a building safety charge, including the cost of the, you know, the building safety managers who consensus was, wasn't gone cheap. Um, they, uh, I do actually know of quite a few social landlords who've already appointed the building safety managers and it's now become sort of voluntary. Um, but you can't charge the cost. Um, they, it'll be covered by a, via normal service charge. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of announcements as well in relation to, to service like charge liability. Do you want to go into a bit more detail about that? Yeah, I'll just briefly mention that. I say there's lots of other things in the, in the legislation, but uh, time doesn't permit. Uh, the government made various announcements. Uh, you might appreciate it to remove cladding on 18 meter or more and height buildings. Uh, the government's uh, already set up a building safety fund. It's, it's taken a long time to get anything done. And it's, I think the consensus is there's not enough money in the fund to, to deal with all the remedial work. It's about removal of cladding, combustible cladding, which uh, the property owners shouldn't have to pay for. And they've uh, under duress, the developers and the construction industry have now agreed, if you've got uh, 11 metre or more high, 
type buildings, four or five stories, uh, they will uh, pay for the cost of removal of cladding. Because I was coming across service charge liabilities of 150,000 pounds to remove the cladding per flat. Uh, so that should eventually be done uh, elsewhere. Outside that, for 11 metre of height buildings, the government says they are more in height buildings that uh, the person who should fuck the bill in terms of defects generally, not just uh, combustible cladding and the likes, but uh, general uh, remediation work should be the developer. But if they are no more, it should fall to some extent on the building owner. Um, as long as they've got a net worth, the government's saying of uh, at least two million pounds, they should foot the bill. And also they've stated that there should be caps on service charge on Lebanon meter height buildings that you shouldn't be able to charge more than 10,000 pounds in any 10 year period um, for remediation works, not for other works for your service charge or 15,000 pounds in 10 year period in London. And that can go back five years from the, you know, the date of implementation. It doesn't really make clear all those people who've already spent huge sums of money via service charge. Uh, they seem to be they're going to be the ones who are out of pocket. And also, if you've got a building in a high rise, 11 meter or more in a height block, that's uh, less than £175,000 or £320,000 in London, you shouldn't be charged for mediation work. So it is a quite a major change, and not just in the world of residential property, but in the world of, um, I know we did a course last autumn, September, I think it was, uh, on sort of uh, mixed-use developments and residential developments, and it's a major, major change. And that's basically it, Lizzie. Okay, thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for going through all of that. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode. <laughs>